Hello, everybody. I wanted to make an announcement here before we get started on the episode. So we're quickly getting to the month of December. And of course, December for a lot of people across the country is the Christmas holidays. So uh, we at Freaking Geeks, uh, we decided not long ago that we wanted to do a Freaking Geeks chest towards the end of the year. So I wanted to give you a rundown as to what that actually means. So similar to the loot crate that we give away each month, the Freaking Geeks chest is going to be uh, very much the same. We're going to be filling our own box full of a lot of geeky goodness. Uh, there's Stranger Things, um, you know, we have Star Wars and Rick and Morty and so much more. It's going to be packed into this box and it's going to be given away on Patreon. Okay, so in order to get the opportunity to win this box, which is going to be a raffle style drawing, you're going to have to be a Patreon subscriber to do so. So if you would like to get all of our content sooner than you get it on iTunes, if you want the chance to win Loot Crate giveaways each month, and if you want the opportunity to get this Freaking Geeks chest that we're going to be doing, you need to subscribe to Patreon. Uh, and, you know, on top of all the stuff that we're trying to do on our website and try to give away and all the perks that we create, doing Patreon gives us the opportunity to do what we love and be able to make a living doing it, right? So if you would like to support us, and we, we hope that you will, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash freaking geeks and check out what we have to offer there. We love to do this week in and week out, but it does incur costs. It It is uh, something that takes away our time. Uh, it takes time. It doesn't take away our time because we love doing it, but it does take time. And we just want to kind of toss this announcement out there to let you know what we have coming in the month of December and just to kind of reiterate what it is that we give away and what we do each week and each month of uh, doing Patreon and doing our podcast. So check out what we have to offer. See if it's something you'd be willing to uh, subscribe to. We hope that you will. And uh, okay, on to the show. And we're back for another episode of the Stranger Things podcast presented by Freaking Geeks. And my name is Michael, and with me is my co-host, Michael. What's up? Or wait, what did you want to be called last time? I was I was Lord, Lord right. Michael. You were, you were Lord Michael. So, Lord Michael, uh, <laughs> we are here to talk a little about Stranger Things Season 2, Episode 3, titled The Polywog. 
directed by Sean Levy and written by Justin Doble. So uh, before we get into the breakdown, before we do any of that, yes. uh, you wanted to talk about the Stranger Things season one box set. So so last week I you know worked hard all week. I was a very good boy. Went out to Target and I had been eyeing up the box set for Stranger Things, which I thought, okay, why would I buy anything from Netflix? But this thing, it looks like an old VHS. Have you seen it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't see it physically in the store, but I saw a ton of pictures online and I thought it looked awesome. It's really cool. It's this big, like, it looks like a VHS. It has, like, it, it's aged. It looks all bitched up and stuff. Uh, when you take out the, the, when you take off the, like, dust cover, it looks like a VHS tape. And inside it has, you know, two Blu-rays, two DVDs for all your episodes and a, and a nice poster of a Demogorgon, just in case you want that. However... Outside of this very, very fun, like, you know, thing to maybe put on your shelf, it is literally just the episodes. There's no bonus features. There's no commentary. There's there's nothing. And it was it was a very lovely package. And I kind of wish it had just said, here, buy a sweet Stranger Things box and just enjoy your Netflix account. Yeah, that's uh, sad. Um, I really think right. these days... If you don't have a variety of special features, why are you going to put this thing out on Blu-ray at all? Well, right. How can how can you even like you know sell it? Because it costs me less for um like two months of Netflix than to buy this thing. Now, am I happy I have it and that it exists and is on display in my basement? Yeah, it's it's a cool thing. But just if you're looking for anything, anything that you haven't already seen. Th- then it's going to be kind of a bummer for you. But if you love physical media, which I fortunately do, I didn't feel like it was that much of a bummer, then it's a good time. Well, yeah, it's not uh, like you're sitting down to watch anything on the level of Lord of the Rings, you know, extended edition yeah. uh, with all the you know hours and hours of extra <laughs> footage. You're not going to and... get your uh, Sean Astin and Elijah Wood talking about the making of the movie. Or about Stranger Things. I don't know why they would. It was season one. Sean Astin wasn't even in that. Correct, yeah. But, but I guess yeah. It, I guess they really stuck to it because it was like getting a VHS um, in the late 80s in that there's nothing on it but the movies. Uh, well, maybe that was part of the decision, actually. Maybe you maybe you actually uh, <laughs> figured Egg out. on my face. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you, you get by with this one, Netflix. Yep. But, you know, if you want a neat display... That's really cool, but if you're looking for it, just beware. Yeah, just know know what you're getting. Yeah, more or less. All right, so um, we're going to go into the breakdown of this episode. So we're going to do what we always do. We're going to uh, take a character or a set of characters, and we're going to go through chronologically what happens to them in the episode. We have a few clips. Uh, which will be dispersed throughout the episode here as we kind of run through the storylines. And uh, we'll do that until we get to the end. So let's start off with Eleven. So we're going to start off the character, uh, just like in the episode, we see her again, right? We see her dreaming. Um, at least that's what it seems like. It's a flashback for us, but it's presented as as a dream. And in this you know, flashback, dream, whatever you want to call it, we see Eleven watching Hopper 
As he puts more food in the wooden box, the same box that he put food in at the end of season one, and what she uh, found, and it, it appears like she's been coming back, and they never quite indicate how many times he's put food in the box and she's taken the food out of the box. It could have been it's just been that one time. Though. Her hair, her hair's kind of grown, right? Like, yeah. I, I want to say, it, you know, this has been happening for maybe a few weeks, possibly. Um, at, her, at least. At least. Um, He's her ego hookup. In her, yeah, her ego hookup. So, uh, Hopper wakes her up, and she's angry, right? Uh, they had this, this big um, this fight, fight, and she's not happy about it. Uh, he's like, look... Uh, you're still angry. Uh, I guess I'm just gonna have to go in the kitchen here and eat this triple decker ego sandwich, which apparently is you know chocolate chips and whipped cream and all this you know good stuff. That dude, it just is going to parent himself into an early diabetic grave, <laughs> right? Because all his all his all his bargaining chips are candy. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, it's true because at the end of the last episode, of course, she's angry because he was late. He didn't come back. They were supposed to watch movies and eat candy together, and he broke his promise. And we know that for Eleven, if you promise something, you have to follow through. Now, that's also, you know, the logic of a child, right? Oh, um, yeah. It's it's a great thing. I love it. You know, people should follow through on the promises they make. But as a child... It, you know, it's not have, realistic. No. It, we view things in black and white. You know, it's almost like binary in the way we think. Human and beings so, are dirty, filthy liars. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Right. So she's still angry about it, but they go out. He convinces her to come um, because she can't possibly turn down Egos. And this is his okay. way of apologizing more or less for what happened. So they, they are eating this this triple-decker Ego. It, it looks almost, it's almost gross. Yeah, like, well, it does. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't even like, "Ooh, give me, give me a smack or all of that." I was. It was. It's. It's such a thing a kid would make. A kid would think was good. And Hopper is just chowing down. Yeah, he is. He's. He's totally into this. It looks like he's adopted this love for egos just because she eats them all the time. So I don't know. Maybe he's always liked them too. But if not, he looks like he has. It. Yeah. <laughs> He looks like a man who enjoys an ego. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> um, so anyway, he uh, he looks and notices that, of course, the cord is leading into her room. He, he knows that she took the TV in there. And that leads to, to this scene here. He visited him again last night. says he needs me. You want me to go check on him? I know that you miss him, all right? But it's too dangerous. You're the last thing he needs right now. You're going to see him soon. And not just in that head of yours. You're going to see him in real life. I feel like I'm making progress with these people. Friends don't lie. What? You say soon on day 21. You say soon on day 205. 
You now say soon on day 326. What is this? You're like counting the days now like you're some kind of prisoner? When is soon. Soon is when it's not dangerous anymore. When? I don't know. On day 500? I don't know. On day 600? I don't know. Day 700? On day 800? No. I need to see you! Shit! Shit! Friends, don't lie! All right, Mike, so uh, what did you think of this scene? I, I thought that... Um, this is, I think, a sign of, of things to come with her. And she might be angry at not being able to see Mike and him, you know, again, you know, promising things that aren't coming true. But I think it's more than that. There's more beneath this than just not being able to see Mike. Yeah, and I kind of like that this... Okay, so this wasn't the... There's still something boiling under the surface even after this fight. Like, it's not resolved here. It It's it's going to go a little forward. It's going to get worse. Um, But this looks like... I, I think this is the first full-on fight the two have had. Um, At least that we're shown, right? Yeah, and I, I agree. I think that... Um... And maybe this is the first time he's really screwed up, but it, we got in the last episode that he had been late a couple times and, you know, she's really getting anxious about it. And she's, you know, it's, or I'm sorry, the first episode, it had said that, you know, you were late again. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, you know, it speaks, to, it shows us her transition as a character, actually. We see her from the last season and, you know, her, like you said, that childlike friends don't lie but we also see her she's growing up she's branching out i think she's starting to see kind of the differences in the world and see the well things are she doesn't like you know she hasn't she does she hasn't 100 percent run away you know right i i think that um bubbling beneath the surface is there's a lot of tension and i think it's been building slowly over the months it's been a very, a very gradual thing for right. her. Uh, I think that uh, she's she's probably been going to visit Mike for a while because uh, we don't know when she learned to just like put the blindfold on. Because before she had to use the bathtub, but now she could put a blindfold on and find herself in the void. Yeah, right. she just needs but, a, oh, she's a television. She likes to use a TV. Yeah, she uses the TV as kind of like the the noise the the static and and just the white noise that kind of enables her to kind of sink into the void but i think this has been going on for a while you know and he's been continually promising her that you know she'll be able to go see mike soon and as she indicates in this scene you know when is it what day like she obviously she has almost like a photographic memory or something because she recalls with precision exactly what days he said you know do you think that's it or do you think it's the fact that she is doing that every single night and every night mike says what day how what day it is that's also a possibility you might be right there actually but i mean i I wouldn't put a pastor to have a photographic memory but i think it also speaks to you know how often she's actually doing this 
Yeah. I I like this scene, however, because, you know, first off, I think it shows a little insight into Eleven as a character. And like you said, we're starting to see a broadening of her personality. And it makes sense that somebody that has grown up inside a facility like this, who has been tortured, uh, forced to do things she didn't want to do, that being a prisoner like that, because that's really what she's been. She's been a prisoner for almost her entire life. Wow. Yeah. Almost her entire life. And people that have been prisoners that, you know, end up getting freedom. Um, there's a lot of anger they have to work through. And I think we're starting to see some of that. You know, it her coming to terms with what happened to her is uh, part of what she needs to do moving forward. However, what we're also seeing here, I think, is that while... Because there's a line in this scene that was very illuminating, right? When Chopper said, what? You know, you feel like you're like a prisoner here? Right. And the fact is, she probably does. You know, initially, she got to go to a place that wasn't the woods, where it wasn't cold. You know, she got a bed. And those she are all things. can't thing- leave. Yeah, but that's the thing. For a while, it was just a relief to be in a warm place in, in having food and those basic things that we, we need to survive, right? And that was great. And then, of course, Hopper, a person to talk to. But after a while, that wasn't enough. You know, after months, you start to feel like you are a prisoner, especially her. You know, she had one week. We have to remember, she had only one week of freedom, Last season. Unless you, unless you count, you know, eating squirrels in the woods. Yeah, I mean... Which is the American dream. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, That's mean, in the I, Constitution, I believe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you're correct. I think so. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think I can see her point, you know? She's been forced her entire life to be a prisoner. And she gets one week of freedom in season one where she's able to at least for a little bit experience friendship and the ability to to do things and have a a level of freedom she never had before independence slash dependence yeah yeah sure i mean she was independent but she had to depend on mike and the others because you know (laughs) she's a relative uh newbie to anything outside of four walls she had to go through a lot of stages of development in of like just child development in like a week. Yeah, definitely. So it's definitely an interesting scene. I I like it. Um, you're starting to see some conflict between these two things that are now kind of bubbling to the surface. Things that are coming, you know, to a head a little bit. You know, there's a bigger confrontation coming. You're also watching two masters of their craft um, working across from one another. Just two wonderful actors playing mm-hmm. so well off of one another. Given it, I mean, we've have we mentioned that 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 they're good actors yet? Mike has. Have we brought that up? Um, I feel like once, once maybe like one, like <laughs> one time. I think. <laughs> yeah, may, like maybe we've, we've we've talked about it a little bit, but just it's it's they pull you in. I mean, it feels like a, it is a father daughter fight. I have yeah. seen this fight happen, like. 
with like my sister and my dad and it's such a normal thing yeah you can relate to abnormal because you know being kept in a shack in the woods Mm -hmm. yeah it's very well done it's definitely crafted well i feel like they had a lot of discussion about this scene uh before they ever filmed it because they wanted to get it just right you know oh yeah so absolutely all right so Moving on here. So Eleven, uh, after this fight, we see her laying on the bed. She gets up. She tries to go back into the void by blindfolding herself. But you know she realizes quickly it's not working. She's, she's just not in a state. She doesn't have the concentration. Um, doesn't have the, the benefit of like the white noise or anything. So she rips it off. Um, she goes out into the the uh, outside her room, into the cabin, the rest of the cabin, into like the living area, and we get a flashback scene, a continuation of what we saw at the beginning of the episode. So Hopper takes Eleven to his father's cabin and tells her that they will fix it up, and that it will be her new home. Hopper puts on some music and starts dancing, and we get this montage of scenes as Hopper shows Elle how to sweep with a broom. Uh, shows her how, or shows her what Morse code is for communication purposes, and teaches her how to create a tripwire outside to prevent prevent them from the bad men should they come looking. At first, it kind of looks like he's like Cinderellaing her because I had uh, I had trouble at first getting that it wasn't the house he regularly lived in. Oh, okay. Um, and I was like, oh, he's just got a little Cinderella now. That oh, come on, man. I liked you, but, and once I was able to kind of understand, because he does, I mean, he puts a lot of dad time into this kid. Mm -hmm. He puts a lot of dad time in, and he's about, you know, teaching her and making her better, and I mean, it's, it's replacing his daughter for him. That's, I mean. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, did you ever play the video game The Last of Us? Yes. Okay. It very Very much reminds me of, it reminds me of definitely of, of Joel and ellie um Uh, very similar yeah and i know i know that the duffers cited the last of us as one of the inspirations for the show yeah i bet that's exactly where they pulled it from yeah because he's gruff like that that's a good that's a good call yeah yeah and i love it um so uh hopper goes over the three ground rules for 11 one always keep the curtains drawn Two, only open the door if you hear my secret knock. And three, don't go outside alone, especially in the daylight. He calls them the don't be stupid rules. L, in an act of defiance, breaks all three rules and heads out to find Mike. decides to be stupid. Yep. And she, but she says, we're not stupid. Um, I, I understand it. I, I get it. I mean, it's not smart on her part, obviously. Oh, no, but, but like... It's who wouldn't do that. It's also, she's what a a twelve year old, thirteen year old kid. Yeah, I think thirteen. I think something like that. So yeah, she's a young kid. Yep. You can't you can't keep them confined. It it's not a good idea. It's not no, going to lead to they anything super positive. Hate that. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that at some point because I, I know there's there's things to talk about regarding Hopper doing that and why, and I think that's important too. Um, so Eleven watches a mom and her daughter play, and uh, we get another flashback of Hopper reading a passage from Anne of Green Gables 
to L. It's like a heartbreaking uh, portion of the book, which kind of ties into what this scene is about and the dialogue in it. Um, because she inquires about her mother and Hopper tells her that she is gone. It's it's tough. It's tough to see the hurt in her eyes. I mean, she's tearing up. She's, uh, you know, crying for a mother that she's never met, but uh, also the possibility of ever meeting her is gone. And it's the first time I think she's even had the like the concept of a mother. Yeah. Although I, I think, think Mike starts to explain it to her a little in the first season. Yeah. But like, you know, making that connection. Oh, I have one. Oh, that's something I'm missing. I didn't even know I was missing that. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Um, Eleven asks uh, the mother where the school is, and uh, she creates a distraction with her powers in order to escape. Uh, she then makes her way to the school where she narrowly misses Mike a couple of times before hearing his voice. She peers through the doors to the gym to find Mike talking to Max, who is on her skateboard. Filled with jealousy and the thought of being replaced, she causes Max to fall off her skateboard. Uh, Mike then realizes that it might be 11 based on what Max tells him and tries to run out and find her, but he can't. L is gone. It's funny because the t- whole time, Mike's just being a jerk to her. Right. Like, Mike is such a jerk to Max. It's 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 really, like, it's almost to the point where he is unlikable, but it's they never quite get to that point. Well, they, I think because the we know why. I mean, right. I'm not and, saying and that it's justified by, in he's any way. He's definitely hurt. But obviously we understand why. Because Max is... To Mike, it's a lot. A lot of the ways in which Eleven views Max in this scene is the way Mike views Max. Eleven sees not the romantic uh, rival aspect, obviously, in Mike's but in, eyes, I, but but being replaced, right, as a friend. Yeah. yeah, Eleven doesn't want to be replaced, and Mike doesn't want Eleven to be replaced in the group. So he's he. If it wasn't for this, if, if Eleven was there, I don't think he would have a problem one bit. No, know? no, no, no. But he's obviously we get the indication, like in the last episode, hey, Mike's been acting out quite a bit all year. Um, it's a reflection of what he's going through, uh, his grieving process, his attempt to come to terms with what happened, the the trauma that is uh, that has been caused by the events last year and so like having max like in his eyes kind of forced on the team and and i think i drew the parallel last week about how last season it was lucas being the one and they've to say, swapped yep and and now it's it's the opposite this year with mike being the one so it's still like a continuation of that exact idea in this episode so uh, but you get a little hint there. There's a there's a point where Max is kind of going around the skateboard, on the skateboard, and Mike kind of laughs a little bit. So you feel like, despite his stance, she obviously was making him laugh a bit, which obviously then played into Eleven seeing the scene and was just like, uh, no, <laughs> uh, yes, you are going down right now. <laughs> but at least yeah, she's a killer. Yeah, she just knocks her knocks her on her ass. Which, so, sometimes that kid, you go, you know what? Actually, I can't even say that she deserves it, because she goes through so much. She goes through so much. 
I love Max. I love that character. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I think they're it's great having two female characters that are both damaged, but they're both strong in their ways, their own ways. You know? Yeah, actually I would argue one is the strongest character in the the multiverse. Oh yeah. Well, uh yeah, considering what she's gone through, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I mean, yeah, she's pretty badass oh yeah um all right so let's uh let's move on here uh let's talk about bob and joyce so there isn't a whole many or a whole bunch of scenes with just these two characters we only have two here but they're they're good scenes uh especially the first one um there i mean there's a scene at the beginning of the episode where bob finds joyce's keys and offers to take will to school right so there's that but between just Bob and Joyce, there's two particular scenes here I want to cover. One is um, where Bob shows up at Joyce at work, her workplace. She's there. She just ranks somebody up at the register. Bob is behind that person, and he has sandwiches. And so they go out. They're sitting on the bench. Uh, Bob is talking about how she, you know he really enjoyed himself last night. Joyce agrees. And then he goes on to mention how he's really connecting with Will. He feels like he's made a breakthrough with Will. Yeah, because, I mean, Jonathan's already kind of gr- already grown. Correct. So, yeah. you know, Will, he feels... And, and also, he and Will have more in common, because he and Will are big old nerds. And they've both been picked on, you know, quite a bit, um, which he comments on. Um, he, he watched the tape, because he mentions that his... Uh, video camera was dinged up a bit he watches the tape and sees that will is getting bullied uh goes on to say that he was once bullied like will as a kid but you know look at him now um he gets to date joyce byers so i want to first and he works at a radio shack and he works at a back radio then shack, which must have been a big damn deal to be fair back then that was a big deal you know i mean because who else can figure out how to run all this all this future equipment we now have in the <laughs> right. past. Uh, but back then, I mean, Radio Shack oh, yeah. was the equivalent of like, you know, Walmart or something similar, you know, at least of, of the like electronics and stuff. Like that's where you went to get your higher I'd say more of, a, more of a Best Buy probably situation. Yeah, that's, like, yeah, that's probably a better comparison. Because Walmart, I, I don't know. Because uh, he's definitely, he's got the tech expertise. He's... He he worked. He's the uh, '80s equivalent of the Genius Bar, yeah, at the Apple Store. Yeah, I think you're right. That <laughs> that's a good uh, comparison. Uh, so we get um, we get this scene here, and I really like a couple of things here. One, you feel like he he means what he says about Will, you know, that they've connected, and so I like that. You know, Jonathan. He's a bit iffy on the whole relationship here and all that, but but Will is willing to give it a chance, and he connects with Bob, which I enjoy. Uh, I want to say this too. Maybe it's just me, but I'm not entirely sure if Joyce likes Bob on the same level as he obviously likes her. Uh, maybe she was a bit of a bully herself in high school or something, but I remember watching this scene and just feeling like, there's like this, this a little bit of a disconnect, at least on her end, because look at the end of the scenes, and her face always seems a little 
um, preoccupied, distraught. I always took it as just preoccupied with her own stuff. Like she's not letting herself be happy. I I don't think she was bullied so much in high school because I honestly, I thought she was a, she maybe was a bully or something. Oh, she could have been. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean that, I, that seems a little more, a little more believable to me Mm -hmm. than the, than, than the, than her, um, no, but I don't think it's that she's not into it because I do think she does love she does love him. I think it's she's just preoccupied with all the will stuff. Okay. Um, I mean, I, and that's just, like I said, that's just you know my from from my my takeaway from it. Um, or you know, doesn't feel like she deserves to be happy because of all the other stuff that's going on, and like you know, why is she even thinking of this? But I do also think she has feelings for Hopper. That could just be, you know, that's because that's the ship we all got on. Everyone's on that ship. Even if you're not on that ship, you're on that ship. Shut up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. Definitely. There's definitely something there. And it's been there since, you know, very early season one. Um, so then uh, later on, Joyce calls Bob because she needs some help hooking up uh, the camera to the TV so that she can watch the tape. She sees the outline of something in the sky. Uh, and traces it so like when she pauses it like there's this white dotted outline uh, of what appears to be uh, the same monster that will drew in that picture from the last, i believe the last episode where he was like oh yeah it's for some project i'm working on i don't know from store no it was a story he was working on and uh, it's the same monster because she compares the two and they look very much the same um yeah, you know those those stories where I, uh, you know, I always write about giant octopus shadow monsters. Tentacle oh yeah, monsters. That's, that's what I do. Yeah, I mean, come on, it's, it's the monster it's, of choice. He's a young H.P. Lovecraft, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, that's quite the imagination there. Will, good job. Um, okay, so let's move on to uh, Nancy, Steve, and Jonathan. Uh, right. So Steve is playing basketball with Billy. Uh, he's getting, basically he's getting his ass handed to him on the court. Billy's just tossing him around like a rag doll. It's kind of this further evidence that a lot of the bite that Steve had last season is gone. You know, he was a, he was a bit of a jerk. He was like the king of the school at the time. Uh, but here comes Billy. Um, he is king no more. Yeah, he's king no more. So he's getting kind of tossed around here. And uh, Nancy shows up, and uh, we get this scene. What are you doing here? What do you think? Where were you this morning? I missed first period. Figured Jonathan would take you. What are you talking about? (laughs) Jesus, you really can't handle your alcohol. Uh, You remember going to Tina's party last night, right? Yes. Okay, and then what? I remember dancing and... Spilling some punch, you got mad at me because I was drunk, and then you took me home. No, yeah, see, that's where your mind gets a little bit fuzzy. That was your other boyfriend, that was that was Jonathan. I don't understand. Pretty simple, Nancy, you're just telling like it is. What? Uh, apparently, uh, we killed Barb, and I don't care, because I'm bullshit, and... Our whole, our whole relationship is bullshit, and I mean, pretty much everything is just bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Oh, yeah, also, you don't love me. 
I was drunk, Steve. I don't remember any of that. So that makes everything that you said, it's what, it's just bullshit too? Yes. Well, then tell me. Tell you what? You love me. Really? Heretic! Dude, we need you, man. That douchebag's killing us. Let's go! All right. Come on! your bullshit. All right, so I feel bad again for Steve here, you know. They make uh, me like Steve. Again, they... um, you know, you can't see him in a bad light really here because the guy's hurt. You know, he, he gets told that he's bullshit, that their relationship is bullshit. Bullshit. Bull, yeah, I'm sorry. Bullshit. Uh, Got to say it the correct way. You're right. Um and you know she's pissed. I mean, obviously she doesn't remember any of this stuff. Uh, which, which I think is the like thing that works the best in this scene is that she totally has no idea what a total horse's ass she was. No, she has no idea. Nothing, you know, because she's convinced that Steve took her home. You know, put her to bed. Um, and I like Steve's response. Now that was your other boyfriend, Jonathan. So clearly, Steve knows that there's this thing between her and Jonathan you know even you know a year later after they got back together that this relationship is still there this this connection between Nancy and Jonathan because see um, everybody's on that ship too even yep. Steve's on that ship he doesn't even if he says he's not he's on the ship he's on the ship he's he's caving he's he's like look I've I'm done uh we all we always knew you were going to go here anyway, so let's just do it, you know. Um, but I feel bad here. I, I I mean, on one hand, I feel bad for that for Nancy only in that she is being attacked and understandably so, but she doesn't have any idea what she did, what she said. Uh, but obviously, what really hammers this home for Steve is when he says, "Hey, okay, fine, tell me you love me." And she looks down at the ground and it's like, okay, you know, uh, no more words need to be said. Uh, you made your point very clear. Um, you more or less reaffirmed, reaffirmed my thoughts. And yeah, so yeah. he walks away. And I like, you know, he's he's kind of guy like, okay, he's, he's not going to sit here and take it. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, he already gave her that chance. That was the last. That was the last episode, and she called him bullshit. And <laughs> and he's like, like he's done. He yeah. knows that this is a lost cause. Yeah, and I like what he says to her. You know, I think you're bullshit, and walks away. I'm like, damn, you know. But you know, hey, um, he deserve hey. he deserves to get in that you know shot there because you know if you're gonna call their whole relationship bullshit and lay lay that that guilt on him that like they killed steve that he's responsible we talked about this last episode that that he's uh, they partially they didn't kill steve i'm sorry killed uh sorry kill barb yeah uh did they kill listeners got very confused yeah i'm like what what steve's dead what spoilers um, steve is killed by barb yeah later on barb who comes back you know, as a Mel Gibson beats her though, so it's it's all good. Okay, um, yeah, we'll we'll be okay. Uh, yeah, spoiler warning. So, you know, she's she's like, oh, you know, we killed Barb, and and 
in that scene last uh, episode and I understand his point like look you're gonna lay that on my feet you know like I I didn't kill Barb you know I'm sorry but I'm not gonna sit here and and let you lay that at my feet not gonna happen uh, were this a lesser again were this a lesser show or a more generic show if this were on the uh the CW or an episode of of Gilmore Girls we would mm-hmm. never see Steve again. He would leave the series. This opens yeah. us up to so much more stuff with him. And so, like, uh, like unshackled from Nancy's story, which I love Nancy and I think she's an interesting character. Yeah, me too. It gives him so much room to become the, the mimetic, just wonder character of this he steve was the dark horse of this of this season mm-hmm. like everybody loves steve it, it's all through pop culture it's all on social media um everyone's t- team harrington but i think that's because of the, like we wouldn't get that without this they cut him loose of this storyline so he can go on to more interesting ones i agree and Definitely. like it all and him dealing with it like this means we don't have to put up with him being like a mopey, a mopey little shit. He's, he's Steve, man. There's more to him than that. We don't have to watch him uh, listening to Air Supply uh, in his bedroom with the lights off. No, they thankfully cut that scene out. <laughs> um, or the, I think he had the cure on. If oh, sorry, the cure. <laughs> Is it is it too early for the cure? Is eighty four? Uh, is that too early? The Smiths. He was listening oh, to the Smiths. The Smiths. Yeah. He's getting his Morrissey yeah. on. Yep. Um. Yeah. So this whole scene plays out, and um. You know she's dumbfounded, and then you know he kind of lays his stuff down and calls her bullshit, and you know, I'm thankfully she didn't say anything else. You know, yeah. I think she was over- just pretty quick she was trying to i think digest the truth of what he said and what she had said you know uh and again because you have no memory it's hard to really have much of a comeback i mean other than saying hey look i was drunk i didn't know what i was saying it's like okay yeah but you know what you know uh, the things you say when you're drunk can at least partially be you know at least have an element of truth so um which then leads to a talk with Jonathan. So Nancy, uh, they're sitting on, I think, I believe on the hood of his car, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have, they have this talk. So he asked you to take me home? Yeah. Yeah, he was upset. I mean, he was, no, he's really upset. But he was still worried about you. Hey, you need to cut yourself some slack, okay? Well, people say stupid things when they're wasted. You know, things they don't mean. Yeah, but that's the thing. What if I did mean it? All this time, I've, I've been trying so hard to pretend like everything's fine, but it's not. I, I feel like there's this, I don't know, like this. Like there's this weight you're carrying around with you. All the time. I feel it too. No, but it's different for you. Will came home. Yeah. Yeah, he did. But, you know, he's not the same. I try to be there for him, you know, to help him, but 
I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe things just can't go back to the way they were. Doesn't that make you mad? Mad? Yeah, that those, those people who did this ruined so many lives. They, they just get away with it. Are people responsible for this? They're dead. Do you really believe that? Your mom's boyfriend. He works at Radio Shack, right? Yeah. Well, why? What are you thinking? Do you want to skip fourth period? So I think Nancy's conversation here with Jonathan, it manages to do a couple of things. One is that she gets to connect with somebody who might be as unsatisfied as she is with what happened last season, you know, and is willing to be reckless in a way that steve isn't willing to be reckless that's one of the things that she's looking for with steve and i and i think this is partially why she said what she said she was looking for some validation on the anger that she has with with what happened to barb with the people that killed her you know she lays that blame at the the feet of the hawkins laboratory and steve is unwilling to, to risk his family and everything else. Whereas I think Nancy is willing to take that risk. And in Jonathan, she finds somebody who's sympathetic to what she's going through and is willing to jump on board and, and go maybe exact some kind of revenge if possible. Right. So the other is that it clears up the situation between her and Steve, right? So she kind of airs out what happened, what she said, and she's able to kind of talk through this whole thing, which I think makes getting over the breakup between her and Steve. It's her move on scene, easier. so that we so that we don't have scenes of her in her room listening to Air Supply. Yeah, like, it's true. It's more interesting, and it's for it furthers the plot, but it makes her not seem callous for just kind of moving on from Steve so quickly. Yeah, I agree. I think so. Yep. Um. So I think that pretty much wraps up the the Nancy, Steve, and Jonathan aspect of the episode. Um, Alright, so let's move on to Hopper. So Hopper is in the police station and he's looking at this map and the map is showing all the different places that the pumpkin patches have all been destroyed. And mysterious so, pumpkin plague. Seriously, yeah, the serious pumpkin plague of 1980. Um, and so he kind of is able to kind of look at the map and seeing where all the pumpkins patches have been destroyed kind of triangulates the coordinates for all that and comes out that you know the Hawkins laboratory is the center of where all this uh, stuff is kind of spreading from and the entire audience goes no shit yeah yes uh so then he goes and has a meeting with dr owens so he's sitting in the office and he's trying to convince dr owens like look um i know what i'm seeing you know he's got these pictures he's got evidence but dr owens is whether he's brushing it off because he just doesn't want to believe it or or he does know that it's true but doesn't want to let on you know it's hard to say at least in this scene. Yeah, However, he, he plays it close to his chest. He's hard, He's so hard to figure out. 
yeah, I think Paul Reiser does a good job here with that too. I liked him better than Matthew Modine, actually. I found him... I mean, they're different characters, but I found him more interesting and just harder to read, and I wanted to see more about what happened with him. Well, I think also the reason why that works so much better is because with with Brenner, he's obviously so evil, you know? Whereas with Owens, at this point in time, we don't really know whether he's... Are you bad or are you good? Are you somewhere in between? And even and now, I don't really know. And I, I, whether I, whether you know he's bad or good, I like him. And uh, Brenner, I found, I actually found Brenner kind of boring. I, I, he was interesting in how he connected to the character of Eleven. Mm-hmm. But other than that, any scene like with like him talking to his goons and stuff, not interesting. This is a guy that in separate scenes, I still am like. I want to see you do more things. You are a character that really, really... You're a character. You're not a a plot device. Well, he's... First of all, he's a little more verbose oh, than... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Brenner. So, and he talks like a normal person, so he just has, like, regular conversations with other people, which he's that helps. He's not a weird robot man. Yeah. So, he tries to convince Owens, um, even going so far as to kind of make some threats. He's kind of strong. He's trying to strong arm Owens right now into going out into the pumpkin patches, taking samples, and, you know, more or less proving Hopper wrong. Like, he wants them to go get all that stuff and say, okay, I want you to show me that I'm wrong. Um, Owens is a little... uh, resistant to this idea because he feels like hopper is giving him orders when it should be the other way around but hopper makes it clear in no uncertain terms that they have to do this they must i'm hopper and you're gonna listen to me i broke into your entire secret facility single-handedly like don't even i've I've been in the upside down without a flamethrower you shut the hell up like yeah he doesn't that's a dude that's not worried about the government like taking him out or anything like that. Hopper's just he's a he's a badass. He is a badass. And it's nice to see him like cuz I remember that being like such a surprise last season when I when he starts acting like cuz he's such a lazy slob at the beginning. It was nice to see him go like nope, he's he's still got his badass hat on. He's still going to be doing this thing. Yeah, definitely. That's- that's why this is a it, good scene. It's still Hopper, you know? He is who he is. Um, so then we see Hopper out with Dr. Owens. So he does have his team out there. They're getting the samples that they need. And then Hopper gets a message over his radio. And it's uh, a report that there is a child being seen. It could be the same child that, uh, you know, went um, missing. Mur- that been and, looking for. And that Murray's been... Murray, like, came in in the first episode saying, you know, there are all these sights of this girl. Crazy Russian girl. Yeah, but, I mean... So he knows he knows at least somebody's, like, looking into this. Yeah, but, you know, with, with Eleven and the way her hairstyle is, like, I feel like she just looks like a normal kid, you know? Yeah, now she's, now she's just got this uh, kind of curly mop dealio going on. Yep. Uh, but, she looks cute. Uh, it looks good. Yeah, it is. It's great. Um, Hopper is, of course, worried, so he rushes into his vehicle and peels away uh, 
because obviously, you know, if she's not in the cabin, she could be in danger. So he's now going to go and, uh, you know, try to find her. And that is it for Hopper in this episode. So let's move the on. The kids. Yep. We have the yeah. kids. Yep. Everyone's favorite part of the show. Everyone's favorite part. That's why I waited till the end to do them. So uh, Dustin manages to get whatever he found outside into the house. Uh, past his mother. Uh, it was funny. I like that scene where they're just both laughing. And that's all they're doing. Um, like this very uncomfortable laugh. Like, oh, he does he does science all the time. This is <laughs> this is not okay. No, no, it's not. Um He gets into his room and he kicks out Yurtle the turtle, which I thought yeah, was great. Yeah, Yurtle's Yurtle's out. Yep. Sorry, Yurtle. Um go hide somewhere. Uh hopefully, you know, not in some corner and uh We'll find you in six months, so you're gonna be dead. Oh, no. um, Are you speaking from personal experience, Mike? Did you did you lose a yurtle? I'm not going to continue <laughs> that story. Oh. Uh, oh. Um, yeah, and maybe a hermit crab or two. Anyway, uh, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Traumatic experiences Tra- from my childhood. I think I also killed off a chameleon. Yeah. How would you know? They're always hidden. Well, it's just waiting, Mike. It's just waiting. I- I, I took it out and I set it on the ground and then I uh, tripped and I stepped on it. Oh. Oh. I killed it. It was too good at hiding. Yeah, unfortunately. I feel like that's on the chameleon. That's not on you. <laughs> like, you did this to yourself, buddy. Yeah. Um, you got too good at your job. Yep. <laughs> uh, so anyway, he kicks out Yurtle the turtle. He feeds this, this thing, uh, three musketeers. Uh, which is obviously a reference to E.T. with, with Reese's Pieces. Uh, but and a we much s- better candy. Yeah, yes. Uh, we see the newly named D'Artagnan, uh, which is what uh, Dustin decides to call it. It roars because you know, Dustin's sleeping at this point, And we see the creature's tail grow longer. It's kind of like a weird little, like, it's like a little turd slug with legs. Yeah. Yeah, I it's think very right. it's very sluggy. Yeah, not a pleasant looking creature. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Like I mean, they find a way in in its interactions with Dustin make it kind of cute, but overall, it's 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 not an enjoyable like it's not an aesthetically pleasing creature. No, definitely not. Um, so then. We move on to the opening scene with, with Jonathan and Bob and Will and Joyce. Uh, Jonathan appears to be uneasy about Bob staying over. He even comments to Joyce about it. Uh, like, is he staying over now? Like, obviously it bothers him a bit. Um, you're not my dad, Jonathan. Say again? You wanted to say, you wanted to be like, you're not my dad. You're not my dad. Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah. Go make breakfast like you do. <laughs> Come on, servant. Let's go. Uh, Bob offers to take Will to school. So, you know, get that. Uh, Dustin is trying to find out more about reptiles and what this creature might be. So he goes into the library, tries to take out all these books. There's a limit of of five books. uh, But he finds a way of distracting the librarian 
and rushing off with all these books. So <laughs> on his uh, he did his paddles for his uh, curiosity voyage. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I try. I tried using that on the kids at work. They were not receptive. It's because your kids need some help. Um, they need to watch Stranger Things. Is what they need to do. That's the messed up thing. A lot of them do, and they just they didn't dig on that. Ugh. Well, I don't know what's wrong with them. Youth Something. is wasted on the young. Yes. 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 No truer words have been said. Um. So next we get this uh, scene with Will and Bob. Uh, they're driving down the road. And... Uh, I love this scene. We'll listen to this scene here. Is that you I heard milling around last night, or was that a ghost? Me, probably. And a nightmare? Uh-uh. No. Did I ever tell you about Mr. Baldo? Mr. Baldo? Yeah. I was a little younger than you, standing in line for the Ferris wheel at the Rowan County Fair. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, I feel this fat white glove tap me on the shoulder. I spin around, and there he is, Mr. Baldo. <laughs> hey, kiddo, would you like a balloon? <laughs> Go ahead, laugh. It's funny. It wasn't funny back then, I can tell you that. I couldn't get him out of my head. Every night, he would come to me in my dreams. And every night when he came to me, I ran. It got so bad that I made my mom stay in the room with me until I could fall asleep every night. Really? Really. It went on like that for months. And then one day, the nightmare suddenly stopped. Want to know how? How? Well, I fell asleep. And just like always, Mr. Baldo came to me. Only this time... I didn't run. This time, I stood my ground. I just looked at Mr. Baldo in his stupid face, and I said, go away. Go away! Just like that, he was gone. Never saw him again. Easy peasy, right? Easy peasy. Just like that. Okay, so what did you think of this scene? I like that it humanizes, because up until then, like, you know, Bobby's, he's he's goofy and stuff, but this connection he makes with Will really kind of, like, seals him for me as a really good character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that it's just this, it's a really, like, it's actually, it's funny, because I think you gave us your Baldo the Clown story last episode. Yeah. Um, and it's like everyone has that that trauma like the what scared them as a kid their nightmare monster and it's you know he's trying to you know humanize what will went through whereas we know no real will actually was in a parallel dimension and there were real actual demon monsters that were trying to kill him yes so it's it's just kind of neat to see that but will like will clearly trusts him and he takes his advice to heart and that's like it's heart. It's actually very heartwarming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was touched by it. And you know? all, all of Bob's scenes, I think, are very heartwarming. I think he's just a genuine person. Yeah, he's just a nice guy. You know, there's no hidden agenda with Bob. Bob is Bob. He is who he is, and he's not going to make any apologies about it. Yeah, he'd be super dead on Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, he would. He'd have been dead like the first two minutes into the show. Yeah, we'd be like, oh, he's nice, 
and then he would not be alive anymore. Yeah, because his head would be chopped off. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Decapitation! A spoiler alert, people die in Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, sorry. In case you didn't know. Um, yeah, so I, I like how Bob tries to help Bo here. And I want to toss out this theory. It's not my own theory, so I'm going to take credit for this. But there's a theory going around that uh, Bob, because he talks about being in, like, growing up in Maine. I guess he went to school here, but also went to school elsewhere. And when he was in Maine at this other school. He was in uh, Derry. He was in Derry. That this actually is, is, this Baldo is actually Pennywise. No, that's dumb. Yeah, yeah. See, I tossed it out there because I remember after about a week, this is one of the most prevalent theories that came out. So, um, that is a theory that was made, I think, by people who never actually read the book, and oh, pr- pretty aren't, sure, and aren't doing the math there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I mean, I, I get like you know, okay, it kind of neat. I get that, but no, no, yeah. I don't think so either, but I thought it was interesting. It, it's that, a neat uh, connection and perhaps a reference. Like, I think it's a saw. I think it's definitely fair to say it's a reference to it mm-hmm. a little bit. But yeah, no, it, it, I don't think they take place in the same universe because no. <laughs> <laughs> Just well, there we go. <laughs> Uh, it is a solid no, folks. Uh, Lord Michael has... I started. decree it! You will listen to me? <laughs> you decree that uh, this theory is... Uh... kiss and hogwash! <laughs> and I'll have none of it! Uh, well, there you have it, folks. Uh, you are now supposed to ignore this theory forever. Fish me my robe! <laughs> I wish to go out. Yes, servant. Let's go uh, get my robe. Uh, all right, so Dustin shows Dart to everyone else. But like, he takes it to school. Uh, and, he's very, uh, he like, goes, not everyone else at school, but everyone in, well, in the party. In the, in the party. Yeah, first he goes into Mr. Clark's room, um, and Mr. Clark is kind of on his tail because he's not, he, first of all, he's late. Second, he's not ready. Uh and then he refers to him as my lord which is every yeah. teacher's dream i got my kids to do that like recently after that and it was the it's the greatest thing ever yeah it's great um so then yeah they get in this room um and he you know he shows them dart and uh none of them want to touch it and eventually will realizes the connection he he understands that the things he was coughing up the slugs at the end of season one is the same that these are these things right here you know maybe they're bigger ones already but at the very least they are dart and that makes yeah. that and that makes them uh well he tells me because he's just will's just on his own going to tell mr clark yeah and that's kind of what makes them they charge the room and say, basically, no, don't do that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which, exactly. Do you think Will uh, coughed up more than just that one Demogorgon yes. or slugger thing? I think he coughed up a bunch. Because even at the end of last season, I always 
thought that he wasn't surprised that he coughed up the slug. He was surprised when he flashed over to the upside down. That freaked him out because I don't think that had ever happened again. We have not seen him cough up about many more slug. Like, I don't think no, he's coughed up haven't. anything. He's been very yeah. good. Yeah. He's been a very good boy. Yeah, I think I think maybe after a while he got them all out of his system. But, you know, he could have coughed up a couple dozen or more, you know. Uh, at least that's the way I looked at it. No, um, that's that's that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike wants to kill Dart because you know because Mike wants the world to burn. If yes, he can't he, be happy, every, nobody can be happy. He's like he's like the Joker. He just wants to watch the world burn. Um, but Dustin doesn't want Dart to be killed. Uh, he's as Mike he named tra- it. Once you name oh. it. Oh yeah, once you name it, yeah, it's your pet. Uh, so then, uh, Mike tries to take a swing at it with, uh, I think the microphone, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, or the mic stand. Yeah. Um, and Dustin intervenes, pushes, uh, Mike out of the way. Uh, then we have Dart jumping off and making an escape, which he does, which then leads the boys to have to go search for him. So we have a scene where Lucas, like, crashes into one teacher's room um and apologizes for it but then um we also get some other scenes we we see will finding dart then getting scared running away dustin eventually finds dart and uh what you know he hides him underneath his hat you know so that you know they won't find him which is adorable which is adorable like he just Uh, he wants to keep him safe it's he's it's 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 his pet it's his it's it's they're kind of doing an homage. It's like a mix of Gremlins and E.T. Yes. Um, and it's uh, Darts his gizmo. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's sweet. Uh, so then Mike runs into Max in the boys' room, uh, the locker room, and isn't too happy about it. She tries to convince him that she can be the Zoomer in the group. Which I, and... I play a lot of D&D. Not a thing. Yeah, it's not a thing. And yeah, my, not I a think class. Mike even says it's not a thing. I don't know but, what sort of bullshit homebrew she's trying to introduce to their party, <laughs> but I would be having none of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So Mike kind of seems to be thawing out a little bit here towards her. He kind of laughs a bit. Uh, and then, of course, we have, you know, Levin shows up and, and we know yeah, what happens And that's there. when she sees him. And uh, so Will, after finding Dart and getting scared and running away, he flashes over to the Upside Down. And uh, Which this has to be like, that has to be like a Tuesday afternoon for him at this point. I, I think it's just like standard day for him. Oh, you know? oh 6 p.m. I got to go. Got to check out my Upside Down. <laughs> it's like, okay, yep. Yeah, if I find anything, I'll let you guys know. Let's review my Twitter um, feed. And oh, it's upside down time. <laughs> so, uh, so Will is being chased through the school by something uh, like these tendrils of smoke and everything. He runs outside. He kind of sprints for a while, and then eventually, he remembers what Bob said in the car. We get a few of these flashes over to that uh, that moment where Bob was, you know, telling him that he. He said, go, go away. It's, it's actually, and, it's very, the funny thing is, it's very Rudy, the way he, <laughs> like, calls on Bob's words and stuff. And Yeah. 
but it was effective. And it's, it's it's a nice way of kind of refreshing the uh, the viewer to make sure they understand the connection. Although I don't necessarily think that was what was needed, but nevertheless, he stands up to the to the creature. This yeah, this giant uh, monster with tendrils, and uh, he then. More or less, as far as I can he, determine, he yells at it. He says, "Go yeah, away, go away!" And then a tornado appears, uh, created by the monster from one of its tendrils. It wraps uh, Will in this smoky blackness, and then it literally forces itself into his mouth, into his eyes, into his nose, ears, it's, everything. Yeah, it and, it does not go away. It does the opposite yeah. of that. And he, you know, it's almost like he's being you know right it, it's 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 rape, a hard rape. scene to watch because i mean it's it's a it's a kid actor it's it's a, and it's very like you can tell that he is going through this horrible trauma that it's uncomfortable it's messing with him it's really really like i remember watching that and being like oh i'm i'm i don't feel good right now yeah oh, i agree yeah it, it's tough to watch it's the the he's crying when he's saying go away like he he just wants it to go away so badly but it's not working because unlike baldo uh, this is a real threat this is a real creature that yeah. wants to hurt him unless um, baldo is 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 pennywise the dancing clown yeah unless yeah right which is then not it, no which is not um stop it yeah stop it um yeah so uh and that's how the episode ends. After Will gets kind of attacked by this this tendril, and is basically his body inside gets filled up with this this inky blackness, uh, that leads to the credits. So, um, you know, Mike, before we get down to kind of giving our our, oh, uh, oh. our final thoughts and, and our grade, and, and this is something you want to bring up. One half a second. Just hold on one yeah. second. Sorry, I had a water delivery. Ah, okay, that's fine. Um, so, Mike, before we get into like our final thoughts and our grade for this episode, I wanted to bring up a subject. Um, well, not a subject. I wanted to bring up a thought that I had regarding this episode and regarding a specific character, and that mm. is Dustin. So, I have to say, one of the things that, that irritated me about this episode was Dustin as a character. Now, I understand what they're trying to do. Like you said a few minutes ago, where this whole thing with D'Artagnan is like a combination of E.T. and Gremlins, right? So we can see the reference to Gremlins because, you know, for, for many reasons. You know, Dart doesn't like sunlight, and you, he gets fed, and he starts to grow and sprout legs and, and more or less become a much more frightening creature because right. of it. And what kind of irritates me here is that we have these group of kids who actually, in one way or another, got to experience either the Upside Down specifically or a creature that came from the Upside Down last season and tried to kill him. Right, right. So now we have Dustin who finds this creature in his garbage can. And 
for one of the one of the reasons I liked Dustin so much in season one is that he saw so much more going on around him. You know, he picked up on a lot of subtle nuances, the dynamics going in in, in the group, um, just things like like when he realized that all their compasses were off, right? When he had them all dumped all their compasses out on the uh, the table last season, like he was the one that was explaining things to the other kids because they just didn't know things. Um, so for somebody that seems to be so aware of th- things going on around them, this episode was irritating because Dustin should know better. He should, you know, he should look yeah. at this and go, you know, is this, like, maybe this is, maybe this is from the upside down. Maybe we shouldn't take this risk. This seems reckless. You know, it just seems out of character for me with, with Dustin to, like, go this far in not wanting Dart to be hurt. And I know he named it Dart, but still, this is like, this is not a normal creature. It's not a, you know, a, a frog or anything like that. This is a scary creature. At the very least, it's going to eat all of your three musketeers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, joking aside, he is, it, it is a little bit, they, he's definitely holding the idiot ball. Mm-hmm. And... I agree. Like, he's the kid that, you know, he knows is the magnets. Now, they did say that he is specifically has a magnet af- affinity. Like, he's really into that. Mm-hmm. But um, I wonder if that's them. They're trying to paint that as him growing up because he's he is very different in this in this season. Like, he he lips off to adults a lot more. Yeah. Um, I, I said a little earlier that um the swearing with the kids which it makes more sense and is definitely more you know realistic th- that he is the one that maybe goes almost a bit overboard with it and the getting away with stuff and i think that that just is the way that they're having his character growing up mm-hmm. um him not picking up on mike's feelings and moodiness is would be strange but he's you know he's getting into girls and he's looking at his own at, you know at his own stuff so I'm wondering if that's just him growing up and, um, you know, puberty makes you makes you dumber than you were as a kid for a little while. Yeah. You know, they can definitely get by on that. Yeah, it is a weird choice. And I, I mean, probably from a writer's standpoint was we want to give this character, you know, an arc and more things to do. And he is a fan favorite. I mean, everybody loves Dustin. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, you know, I, I do think, do I think it's a little out of character? Yes, but an argument could be made that it's just, this is him, you know, growing up and him finding his place and he's asserting independence because you can tell him and him and Lucas, they don't get outright about it with Mike because I, they understand where he's coming from. But I think they're getting a little tired of it being, you know, him in charge and him pushing this. So I think it's all about finding identity and, you know, making your own decisions. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I understand what you're saying there. I just, um, but yeah, considering it, what they went through it last is weird. season, it just it, seems weird that he would. It's a, it's, it, it's a weird call to make. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, is there anything else you want to bring up about this episode? Anything, any points, no. any, any plots or anything, or do you want to just go into Not final really. thoughts we... and grade? We kind of covered, I mean, this one, um, this is where they start getting like, you know, our first two were getting us reestablished and everything. This is where I feel like it's starting to move 
it's a little more slowly because it doesn't have to bring you up to speed, but mm-hmm. forward slowly. Yeah. And, I mean, the ending of this episode, it has one of the most, like, oh, holy crap, I'm so glad that I'm not watching this uh, weekly and I can just watch it the next episode now sort of episodes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, fantastic. So, uh, yeah. Uh, give me uh, any other thoughts you want to share about this episode and give me your, your final grade for uh, episode three. I think we're continuing on a nice, you know, it's a nice, strong story. The characters are developed, again, in a logical way. Uh, there's no, I I mean, I guess if I have to say my weaker points of the episode, not, not that I tune out because I do like these characters are... Um, the Steve, Nancy, Jonathan thing feels a little bit like more of the same. Okay. But it's necessary to move them forward. Like, this is a us breaking away from the more of the same. Like, I'm actually very, very glad that we got Steve out of the Nancy relationship so that that character could be more interesting. And this is a good episode to, you know, set our characters on their, on their curiosity voyages. Um... More or less, you know, this is where we're giving them their paddles. I tried too hard to, to tie it into the episode. Uh, so, while a little bit slower, it's it's moving forward. Uh, this is a solid, I'm going to say B plus for me. It's it's a good episode. Okay. Um, yeah, I liked uh, this episode. Uh, I think it was a good one. Um I had, like I said, I had a problem with Dustin in this episode. I just felt yeah. like it was a change in character for him in general um, to be so dumb, dumb, just so cavalier in his disregard for a creature uh, who obviously, like in terms of like not looking at this creature in a way which would make you uh, fearful that it's from the upside down. You know, he knows that the Hawkins lab is where, you know, this whole thing started. You know, like this is like if I saw a creature like that, I would think, okay, this might have come from the lab. This might be bad for for us. We shouldn't keep it. We should kill it. And I, I know he's a curious guy, but it just seems I know what they're trying to do. You know. It was like as a like gremlins, so he wanted to, they wanted to find a pet for him, and like to kind of make that reference for this movie. But uh, I think they needed to do a little more work to make him devoted to this creature uh, more believable. Because as it stands, I just felt like it was a a very slight betrayal of his character um, personally. But just give him more reason to be that protective of it. Right. Uh, I like, I liked, uh, I liked everything else though. I thought it was a good episode. Uh, There's some good character beats. Uh, I also think that they did a great job um, uh, with like the pacing. I thought the pacing was pretty good throughout. Uh, I just think it was a solid episode. And you know what? I have to give it the same. I think a B plus is a good grade. I think definitely it's a better. it's a better episode upon a second or third rewatch than it was on the first, to be honest. But yes, I think a B yes, plus yes, yes. is a better is or is a I think B plus is a fair grade for this episode. Yeah. So, so we're in agreement then. 
Yes, we are. It is decreed. It is decreed. It is so. Uh, all right. I think that's it for our episode. If you would like to send in any emails, uh, feedback of any kind to the podcast, you can do so by sending it to freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. All lowercase, all one word. Put in the subject line whatever your email is about, and we'll do our best to get back to you in the next episode. Respond to the email and hopefully give you a excellent answer or possibly a rebuttal, depending on what your uh, your email well, is. You know what? A lukewarm answer. Don't set your standards so high. What's wrong? That with is you? true. That is How true. Get through life. Yeah. Uh, just expect a mediocre answer, and uh, hopefully, we'll just exceed expectations. I think that's the way to go. Absolutely. All right. Uh, All right. Uh, This is it for this episode, and uh, we'll be back next week with the fourth episode of the season. Um, Just want to wish everybody out there a a happy Thanksgiving, if it's uh, a holiday that you celebrate. Um, Yeah. And if not, a a happy regular Thursday. Right. If not, just have a happy regular Thursday. Hopefully it goes well for you. Uh, And we'll see you next week. Until then, have a good one. We'll see you later.